Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Second Kings, chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 14 through 21. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 320. Now, since the beginning of the new year, we have been going through and studying the ministries and lives of Elijah and Elisha in a sermon series we've called the conflict of kingdoms as the Lord has raised up these prophets to bring uh, the Lord's word, prophetic word against the evil kingdom that was established in Israel by a man named Omri. His son Ahab is probably the most famous of his uh, of his descendants or maybe most infamous his wife Jezebel who established false worship in Israel. And as we have gone through the lives of Elijah and Elisha, we have seen how God has used his mighty and prophetic word to bring down this kingdom. And last week we saw the destruction of the kingdom of Omri. And in some sense, that is the penultimate conclusion to the story. And yet we now skip ahead to chapter 13 of 2 Kings, to come to the end of the life of Elisha and to read of how he passed from this world into the kingdom that is to come. And we see that ultimately the conflict between kingdoms is not an earthly battle, but it is a spiritual battle. So here now, the word of the Lord, 2 Kings chapter 13, beginning in verse 14. This is God's holy word. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. He shot. He said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen. And the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, He revived and stood on his feet. 
This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we come to you now in this time and we pray that you would teach us of the power of your kingdom that is to come. Lord, and that as we continue to live in the midst of the conflict of kingdoms of man and kingdoms of God, that your word, your powerful word would cause faith to arise in our hearts. That we might look to the Lord Jesus Christ and his victory and follow him as our king. We pray this all in his holy name. Amen. The famous hymn writer John Newton also had a great interest in publishing the diaries of Christians. Now, he didn't have much interest in the diary of a young woman named Margaret Athens at first. She never accomplished anything great in her life. She didn't have a family of nobility. She really didn't have a very interesting life story. And yet, because Newton was known for his interest in editing and publishing Christian diaries, the friends of Margaret brought this diary of this humble woman to this famous man. As he read through her work, he was impressed by her life of faith and the way that the Lord had moved in and through her, but... There was not much that made for very interesting reading until he came to the end. And once he read the final entries of her diary, he decided that he needed to edit and publish this journal for more than a testimony of a great life. This was a testimony of a great death, a witness to the art of dying well in the Lord. And in our passage for this morning, we have recorded for us the death of Elisha. The end of an era. The end of our study of the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And what it tells us is the grace and the art of dying well in the Lord. The first thing that we learn from our text about dying well is that we must all be willing to accept that death will come. Unless the Lord returns, every single one of us in this room is going to die. This building was built 97 years ago. And if somebody can correct me, I'll be more than willing to listen to them. But I bet that there is not one single person who was here when this church was built that is here today. 100% turnover of people. And in 97 years from now, there probably won't be any of us in this building. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you knew that you had said the wrong thing? Once I I walked up to a conversation that my wife April was having with a couple and not realizing what they were talking about as they left, I very enthusiastically said, well, I hope you have a really fun time this afternoon. 
Turns out they were going to a funeral. Oof, that's why they look so gloomy. Theologian Don Carson tells of a time when it became clear that his wife had said the wrong thing, or at least the unpopular thing. He recounts that a member of their church had a reoccurrence of cancer, and within a few months it had spread throughout her body. And despite treatment, it was not going away. And so the members of his church began praying very fervently for her healing. They prayed, Lord, you have said that you will answer if two or three are in agreement. And we are praying together in agreement. We want you to heal this woman. They prayed, Jesus Christ, you are the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. We want you to show that you are still the great physician. And all of these were good prayers. And prayers that we should be encouraged to pray. But then Carson's wife prayed this. Heavenly Father, we would love it if you would heal Mary. But if it is not your will to heal her, teach her to die well. She is going to die anyway. And so if the time is now, teach her to die well. Give her a joy of the Lord. Give her a heritage of godly faith with one foot firmly planted in heaven so that her husband and children will be stamped by it and they will look to Christ. Talk about saying the wrong thing. How could you pray in such a way? Isn't it wrong to pray with such doubt that God might not heal somebody? That they might actually die? Well, of course, the answer is no. Look down at verse 14 of our text. It says, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, The whole rest of this section of Scripture is predicated on this situation, this reality, this concrete truth. Elisha had an illness from which he would not recover, an illness that would end in his death. But doesn't he have faith? Does he not have the power to heal himself? I mean, he healed others. He even brought people back from the dead. Why couldn't he just heal himself of this disease? And this is the first lesson that we must learn when it comes to the art of dying well. There is a time for all of us to die. And no amount of prayer or faith will keep you from this reality. And if we're going to die well, we need to begin to at least explore the possibility that this is going to happen to us. One commentator once said, many of us die badly, not because we are wicked or weak people, but because we simply haven't been taught how to die well. You can't really prepare for something you spend a lifetime avoiding. There is a video that I ran across online, and the title of it is, What Did You Think Was Going to Happen? It shows this idiotic man hitting a can of pink spray paint with a shovel repeatedly. And after he hits it a few times, the can explodes all over his face. And you laugh and then you have to say, yes, I agree with this title. 
What did you think was going to happen? Christian, what do you think is going to happen? Are you ignorantly walking through life, not realizing that eventually this life will come to an end? We can and should pray for healing and recovery, but eventually we will all come to a disease or to an accident that will end our lives. The Shunammite son that was raised by Elisha eventually died and stayed dead. Lazarus, who was raised by the Lord Jesus Christ, eventually died again. Psalm 90, verse 12. We read, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And if you are going to die well, you must accept this. No matter what age you are, you must number your days. Because it takes time and energy to prepare yourself to die well. To place your hope in the Lord. It takes great maturity to walk this path without giving in to fear or to doubt or to anger. Some worldviews teach that we are on an endless cycle of living and dying. Others teach that we will one day run headlong into a wall of non-existence. But we know that when we die, we will enter into eternity. And therefore, we need to prepare ourselves to cross that threshold. If you would die well, you must accept the fact that death is going to come. I have a very distinct memory of the first time I realized that things continued to happen even when I wasn't present. Do you remember the first time this happened to you, this revelation? I was in the first grade and I stayed home from school for some reason or another. I guess I had a cold or something. And I remember thinking about all my classmates going into the classroom and sitting down. I remember thinking about the teacher calling roll and taking note that I was absent. And then I realized... They're just going to keep going. They wouldn't stop just because I wasn't there. They would keep reading the mouse and the motorcycle. My friends would still play wall ball at recess even though I wasn't there. They wouldn't cancel art or music or stations. School would just go on even though I wasn't there. And this is the second thing that we must learn from our text. If we would learn the art of dying well, then we must accept that God is going to continue to work even after we are gone. Our end is not the end. When the king of Israel, Joash, hears that Elisha is going to die, the text tells us in verse 14 that he went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel... And it's horsemen. Why is Joash so moved by the impending death of Elisha? Well, because Elisha represents the power of God in the life of Israel. The Lord's miraculous power displayed in Elijah and Elisha will not be repeated until the coming of Christ some 800 years later. 
It was truly the end of an era. And yet this end of an era does not mean that the Lord ceases to work in the nation of Israel. And so through a prophetic act, Elisha passes on the work of the Lord to the king of Israel. In particular, we see that the Lord will work through Joash to finally bring an end to the conflict with Syria. For generations now, Syria and Israel have battled with one another. It has been in the background of the story that we have followed through the lives of Elisha and Elisha, these This conflict between Israel and Syria. But the Lord is going to give victory to Joash to end this conflict at least for a season. And we will see that his son Jeroboam II will restore the borders of Israel to an extent only seen under the reign of Solomon. We read in verses 16-17, through Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands and said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Syria. You see, in laying his hands on Joash, Elisha is passing on the blessing of God to this king. For he knew that the Lord would continue to work after he died. That his death was not the end of the kingdom of God. And to die well, we must realize that death is a time for us to pass on God's blessings to the next generation because God's kingdom does not end with us. Abraham blessed his son Isaac. Isaac blessed his son Jacob. Jacob blessed his 12 sons. And we too need to realize that God's kingdom will continue to go forward after we are gone. And so while we are alive, we must begin to pass on the blessing that God has given to us to those who will come next. How do you do this? Well, four suggestions for you, you can see in your outline in your bulletin. The first is discipleship. Men and women of the Lord, God has used people in your life to teach you and to guide you. And it is now time for you to teach and to guide others. To invest yourself in the next generation. It is time for you to lay on the hands of faith and begin to identify and make relationships with those to whom you can pass on the blessing of the Lord. Don't wait for younger people to come to you and to ask you, but begin to share what you have been given and to pass it on to the next generation. We must be a people who are willing to share what God has given us now with those who will come next. Whether it's through small groups, whether it's through Sunday school, whether it's through one-on-one discipleship, the Lord has poured into you through others. It is time for you to pour into the next generation. Second is giving. I hear people say 
very foolish things like you can't take it with you, so you might as well spend it now. Please don't leave the next generation without an inheritance. The book of Proverbs tells us a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. If you would die well, you need to stop acting as though once you die, there will be no need for the resources that you have been blessed with. You need to work to ensure that you can bless those who come after you with an inheritance. And this means planning. This means making a will. If you don't have one, you need to get one. And in that will, make provisions to bless those that you will leave behind, including the kingdom of God. Dick Thompson was an elder at the church that I served in South Carolina. He was also the treasurer of the church for decades. He wasn't a wealthy man. But yet when he died, he ensured that a tenth of his estate would go to Overbrook Presbyterian Church. Because he had the foresight to see that even after he died, the needs of his church and the next generation would continue. He had the foresight to see that though he died, the kingdom of God would go forward. And so he made plans to bless the next generation who would worship in the church that he called home. Now, I'm not saying that it's a rule that you have to give the church 10% of your estate in your will. Don't feel like you need to be limited to 10%. Give 20 or 30 or more. Because you're right, you can't take it with you. But don't spend it on yourself. Learn the art of dying well by giving to the next generation of the work of God. Next is benediction. The next thing that you need to do to die well is to bless those who you will be leaving behind. Benediction just means good word. And to die well, you need to speak good words over those that you will leave behind. They need to hear your words of love and support and encouragement. You need to speak both to your physical and spiritual children the words of God's blessings. You need to say to them, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and comfort you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. To die well, you need to speak words of blessings over those that you will leave behind. They need to hear from you that you love them and that you see in them the future of the kingdom of God. Don't take those words with you. And don't wait to say those words of benediction until the very last moment. But even now, begin to diligently seek opportunities to speak benediction over those that God has placed under your authority. The final thing that you can give to the next generation is hope. The world is watching the way that Christians die. 
And if we die raging against the dying of the light, as it were, we give no hope to those who are around us. We need to ready ourselves. We need to screw our courage to the sticking place and stare down death with the sure and certain hope that though we die, we die in Christ and therefore we will live. And what better blessing can you leave the people of God than a testimony of your hope in the resurrection that is to come? One of my pet peeves, this isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to share this. Alright? One of my pet peeves is when people, when you ask them, oh, how old are you? Or they have a birthday and they go, oh, I'm 39 and holding. They start talking about how they hate the idea of getting older. They hate the idea of aging. Why? You're getting closer to the Lord. And we're all aging at the same rate. Right? We're all on this whole trip, on this train together. As Christians, aging should not be something that you avoid... Like the plague, it's a reality of life. And you are telling to those who are coming after you that going forward to the Lord is the worst thing that you can imagine. So you're just going to pretend like it's not happening. Give the next generation hope by aging well. Don't be 39 and holding. Be proud of how old you are. And pass that hope on to the next generation. Now, don't wait for a terminal diagnosis to start doing this. Very few of us will know that we're about to die and have opportunity to do all these things at the last minute. I'm just going to tell you now, you all have a terminal diagnosis. We're all going to die. So don't wait to bless God's continuing kingdom. The art of dying well means not waiting for death to come. It means preparing to pass on blessing from one generation to the next because you know that God's kingdom will continue even after you're gone. Death is not the end. So we die well by preparing for death, by accepting that it's going to happen. Second, we die well by accepting that God's kingdom will continue after we are gone, so we pass on a blessing. And the third and final way we see in our passage that we die well is dying with the knowledge that ultimately death will be defeated. It is a curious story, to say the least. One that many biblical scholars kind of want to ignore, but there it is right in front of us in black and white. Look down at verses 20 through 21. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen. And the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. Okay, so you can just see what's going on here. He gives you a little bit of background. The Moabites used to come and invade. And so it created a situation where they're 
burying this man and all of a sudden this marauding band came and they needed to get rid of the body quickly. And so they throw it into the grave of Elisha that was there. And then we read these astonishing words. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. What is that about? It seems crazy. There's nothing else like this in all of Scripture. Was it magic? Did Elisha's bones have some special healing power? Or is it a sign of something greater? Is it a hint that the ultimate end for God's people is not death, but life? That the story of the conflict of kingdoms, yes, outwardly, was between the kingdom of Omri versus Elijah and Elisha speaking the prophetic words of God. But ultimately, the conflict of kingdoms that we have been studying is the conflict between the kingdom of Satan and death versus the kingdom of Christ and our God. One of the misunderstandings that we have about death is to believe that it's not an enemy. People like to say the very foolish thing that death is just a part of life to try to help people accept it when it comes. Or they think of death as a release from the problems of this world. When we die, we just fly away from all of our problems. But Christian, if you are going to die well, You need to come to the realization that in death, we come to an enemy, not a friend. If death were such a great thing, Jesus would have left the stone in place and stayed in his grave. But death is not a friend, it is an enemy. And to endure it well, we have to accept the fact that death is an enemy. We do no one any good by repeating vain platitudes about death, even the death of a Christian. When the first known Christian died in Acts 8, we we read, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Listen to me, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you want to die well, you need to see that death is an enemy and that death has been defeated. That Christ Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The way that we die well is going into death with the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To know that in death you are united to the one who has defeated the enemy. To know that as you die, you will gain true life. Not because death gives you true life, but because Christ has overcome death and He gives you life. And that one day Christ will completely destroy this enemy and your body will come forth from the grave. Can you imagine that day, Christian? You will come forth from your grave on the day of Christ's return. Changed. And there will be a great and grand celebration because the final enemy, death itself, will be no more. And we will all join together in mocking our enemy of death. 
For the Word of God says when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, right? When Christ overcomes death finally on our behalf, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the death of Elisha is teaching us. Death does not have the final say. We die well by knowing that death is not the end, but that the end is Christ. Gaining Christ, becoming one with Christ in His resurrection and dancing on our own graves forever free from the grip of our enemy of death. Death is no good, but it will be defeated. It has been defeated in Christ Jesus our Lord. Margaret Athens' diary told of a life of an 18th century orphan who became a house servant, a maid. It tells of a young woman who came to the Lord in her early 20s. It tells of a woman who had resigned herself to a life of singleness. And it tells of the day when she finally was married at the ripe old age of 31. Times were different then. But none of this was all that extraordinary. After she was married, the Lord blessed her with three sons. And after the birth of her third, her health declined quickly. And over the next several months, Margaret poured out her soul before the Lord in her diary. A testimony of dying in the Lord. Listen to her final entry and see how she dies well by accepting that death will come by blessing others and by looking to the Lord in hope. She says, I'm still under the care of a physician, but he gives me no hope. Indeed, it would be both cruel and in vain to flatter me now, for my own weakness informs me that I am going quickly. I bless my God. I can now say, Thy will be done. I can give up my dear husband and children with every earthly connection into His hands. He will care for them. My husband's trial is great. I feel more for him than for myself. But heaven will make amends for all. Oh, how I pant and thirst for the happy hour when my Father will send His angels to convey my spirit to rest. There remains a rest for the people of God. I know that my Redeemer lives. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. When I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. I bless God. I have not one fear concerning dying. That Almighty Lord, who has so wonderfully preserved me to the present moment, will not forsake me in my last extremity. No, when flesh and heart fail, He will be the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. How do we die well? Will you die well when you trust that death is not the end? 
It's not the end of God's work. It's not the end of your life, but rather through faith in Christ and His resurrection, we die knowing that one day death will be defeated. The kingdom of this world will end and the kingdom of God will have the everlasting victory and reign. Presently, we live in the conflict of kingdoms, but soon the reign of death will be destroyed. And the kingdom of our God and of His Christ will come in fullness and life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O oh, Father God, we come to You now in this time. And we pray, O oh God, that You would give us the courage To live now in a way that prepares us to die well. We pray, O God, that You would give to us the grace to pass on the blessings that You have given to us to the next generation. That one generation might rise after the next, continuing to honor and bless You. And may we look forward to that soon and coming day when Christ will return. And death will be defeated. And that you, O Lord, will reign forever and ever. Amen.